0: Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato. And as always, this week I'm joined by Matt Muscardi and Rick Marshall to discuss the $800 million US dollar fine to Equifax. And then we discuss how the crisis around subprime auto loans will affect both the market and your everyday Jane. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. Okay, so our first story, credit monitoring company Equifax is now back in the news after being hit with an 800 million US dollar fine over its 2017 breach, which released social security numbers, names, birth dates, home addresses for around 145 million Americans. Equifax's operating capital for 2017 was around $670 million, so it's a pretty hefty fine. And the fine does signal to the market that this was the company's fault, It was an unavoidable situation, and the company has to pay for this type of incompetence. Okay, so the MSCI ESG research stack card for Equifax, as we do at this time, The company is rated a triple C by us, and we've been concerned about their data security for a while, which Matt, you'll get into in a second. And I talked with Andrew Young, who covers the company, and he noted that it has made significant changes due to the breach. It replaced its CEO, its chief technology officer, it established a whole new chief privacy officer position, and it engaged a company called Security Scorecard to do its vulnerability testing. But I think what I want to discuss first, before we go into the particulars of the case, is does a fine actually do justice to this type of a breach? Because a solution a fine does not make. And it's not like with Facebook, where I opted into giving them my data. Equifax just has my data. And while we do need credit monitoring companies, so loans can basically work. I want to understand how investors should react to Equifax and other credit monitoring companies that collect such massive amounts of data. Should there be a push to
1: nationalize them? Should we get rid of them Um, entirely? uh, You're not going to get rid of it, which means it's what do you want to see happen? The question you should ask is what do you want to see happen from Equifax? And I think Andrew's point is, shout out to andrew young is uh they're doing what you'd want to see happen they didn't do it before they ranked in the very bottom they they scored a zero in privacy and data security you know, you know at the time when the when the the uh, actual breach happened and they they had a, a zero out of ten um they were one of something i pulled every company that we cover and they were one of like seven that got a zero. It's, it's, yeah. Really? And that's out of like thousands of companies, they got a zero. So before this happened, they were exactly what you didn't want to see out of a company that had that much important private, you know, personal data. And since it's happened, they're, they, I mean, to Andrew's point, they're, it's like a, they're hitting best practice after best practice. I think that's what you want to see. You want to see change. I think the question is in contrast to, you know, the way, you know, if you look at the the efficacy of fines, I'm not sure the fine is what drove Equifax to do the right thing here. I think there's way more at stake to, to them, like their their whole business model. They could get regulated out of existence. There are alternatives to Equifax and Experian and TransUnion, and these other credit rating or credit monitoring agencies.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, OK, so you think this fine is a lever for fundamental change, but or, or is something even bigger coming up the pike? Because, Matt, before this, you were telling me that the uh, Bank of America racked up around one hundred and twenty billion dollars in settlements. And Bank of America was still pretty slow to change. Their CEO remained the same. But regulations did push banks around a little. Is that what we're going to see here, a massive new regulatory regime put in place for data collection?
2: I can't imagine that there's not going to be some some additional follow-up and fallout there. Um, we don't have anything like GDPR in the United States.
0: General Data Protection Regulation. That's the regulation in the EU law. Uh, about data protection and privacy for all individual citizens of the EU and European economic areas. Yeah, we we don't have that.
2: Exactly. It's so it's so basic. It's so fundamental, and yet we we don't have that. You know, one of the most basic regulatory protections around data privacy, um, ever created, and and we have no not even a close equivalent. I, I would also hasten to point out that Equifax, they're not out of the woods yet. Because they're still facing a an open security class action lawsuit, uh, where the plaintiff has alleged losses of up to three billion dollars in shareholder value as a result of this data breach. Um, I think at at the worst moment when this breach was first um, announced and the there was fallout on the uh, on the Equifax's share price, I think they lost a little over a third of the company's. Total value at the time. and so the securities class action case, which is let actually uh, the lead plaintiff in this case is a, is a large uh, German institutional investor, part of the German banking system, ironically. And um, you know it's hard to say what kind of settlement will come out of that, if indeed there will be a settlement at all. It may take years before that's resolved, but in the meantime, that's going to be hanging over Equifax and anything that they do as well. And sometimes the settlements in these cases can be quite large, as large or larger as the fine that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, now every time the Equifax board meets, they're going to have this class action cloud over their head run by a massive German flexing as the lead plaintiff and to make matters worse Equifax's problems as you noted Matt were well documented but I mean that's what makes me so skeptical if even if shareholders are lawyering up isn't this a systemic issue and isn't a fine or a lawsuit or any of this just not enough to deal with the real problem at hand
1: no if the but if this if the whole management team gets flipped right like that's that those are people right like the, the you can you can do it at the smallest level where the management team is gone or, or at the highest level where the company effectively goes bankrupt trying to pay re- redress for for its its actions and while bankruptcy doesn't happen very often i mean if the number rick's t- talking about which is in no way settled right like it's not the number that's been settled. But if the claim is, you know, up to $3 billion in damages, you're talking about wiping out an entire year's revenue, you know, gross revenue from a company like Equifax. Those aren't small numbers that will make anyone, any company, any other shareholder, anyone in management, any, everyone on the board, they all sit up to attention, right? You, you end up flipping culture as a result of, we can't have this happen again. We can't be in a position to, to take that much risk either as individuals or as a company or anything, because we could be out of business. That's a real- Yeah, the crazy thing if they get out of business
0: is then where's all that data going? Cause, because that's gonna still be on their servers. I don't know what
1: the data protection for that is. But that's a real deterrent. I mean, it's, it's like a nuclear deterrent almost.
0: So our second story today, we are going to talk about a looming shadow in the market subprime auto loans. A topic many have been talking about for a number of years, and even a couple of days ago, Elizabeth Warren, a U.S. presidential hopeful, wrote in a Medium blog post the following Auto loan debt is the highest it has ever been since we started tracking it nearly 20 years ago, and a record 7 million Americans are behind on their auto loans, many of which have similar abusive characteristics as pre crash subprime mortgages so for our stack card today i want to read something matt you shared with me before the call it's our 2014 write-up of wells fargo which at the time had one of the largest portfolios of high social risk loans so quote wells fargo ranks the highest in burgeoning subprime auto loans compared to other major banks signaling a massive risk in the market so man it seems like subprime auto loans are nothing
1: new why all of a sudden are they being brought back into the spotlight i think what's interesting right now is that um as the auto industry changes because what we're seeing is the sales of autos decrease um, subprime lending to for autos is actually increasing and that divergence of people are buying less cars, but the people who are buying cars tend to be less credit worthy. Um, we're also seeing simultaneously prime and super prime borrowers. Basically the top credit rated borrowers are buying more used cars and the, uh, and subprime borrowers are deep subprime borrowers, which are even sort of worse from a credit scale. Um, are buying more new cars. Yeah, just to quickly sum that, so
0: low-income, vulnerable populations who are historically targeted by predatory lending practices are using subprime loans to basically prop up the car industry, which is facing declining sales, uh, especially in the second half of 2019.
1: Yeah, in that, I mean, y- you have to look back then at all the auto you know manufacturers and wonder how much of the last year to five of their sales have been propped up by people who largely it was not sustainable, right? Who largely can't necessarily afford to buy those new cars.
2: I think that's the story yeah. here. I, I, You know, I mean, you, you can look at this and you can say, wait, wait a minute, is this is this a story about the financial companies that are lenders or is this a story about the auto industry? And I think what's interesting is that it's about both and it's about that synergy. And you've got uh, a financial industry that's been propping up the auto industry and an auto industry that's been propping up the financial industry, and it's all around this this low-quality, subprime, higher-risk set of loans that have been used to, um, you might say, artificially inflate auto sales for, as Matt points out, several years. What's surprising here is that we're surprised that suddenly auto sales are dropping. Auto sales have been dropping. They were boosted artificially by the the availability of low quality credit or higher, higher risk credit.
0: So let me ask you this. We just finished up talking about risks to consumers based on data and fines as like a reactive measure and turnover as a reactive measure. What's your end solution here for a problem that is looming?
1: Is it fine? No, is I don't. I don't but I don't think it's about that because I, I think I think it's not like a it's not like a problem in search of a solution from a regulator. I think actually the th- the thing I would be nervous about is, um, you know, when a subprime auto bubble, if it were to, if that's what it is, and if it were to pop, so to speak, um, it's not like the mortgage market. Um, it's going to be different. But uh, the thing to watch is the affected borrowers, right? Because I, I, I think. Um, you know, you, you we're seeing uh, the car companies are 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 um. I mean, in the news yesterday, there was what was it, eighteen thousand layoffs at Nissan. I mean, yeah, it, it was
0: it, like you know, I, twelve thousand
1: five hundred still. Th- they're announcing layoffs. Uh, of of staff. We know the dealers are suffering. I, I saw a story two days ago uh, about the dealers are starting to tell the manufacturers our, our lots are full. Don't send us anything new. We, we can't even turn over what we've got. So there's going to be this sort of auto industry effect. But if the auto industry hits decline or the or the or or, or people stop buying, um there is an impact on the the borrowers themselves who may be in a position to not repay. And I mean, what are the ripple effects of that, right? Like we know, particularly in the United States, but globally now, you, you largely can't work without a car. Like you can't get to work without having a way to get there in many places i think there's a social implication to this that has nothing to do with regulation that has nothing to do with industry necessarily um that uh, to rick's point when you have banks propping up auto and auto sort of propping up banks and everybody's happy about this like this kind of unsustainable practice while it lasts the end um, the the end effect, the end cost could be borne by people who can least afford it. Isn't that the exact same thing what happened with
0: Equifax, though? Isn't this an analogous situation where
1: two industries are showing us red flags... No, that was and- equal opportunity. Like Equifax is, e- they, they lost, you know, uh, rich people's data, poor people's data. They, they just lost data. This is a, this is a much more about um, someone who can't afford. Like if you're a subprime borrower, the, the, on average, uh, especially in this country, and we've done research around this, but we, there's a lot of research around this. On average, you tend to be non-white you tend to have less flexibility in your finances there's all sort of these attributes that go around it it's not uniform right we're just talking about on average the the point is you have less flexibility in your day-to-day spending life you just don't have as much flex as somebody who might be prime or who might have more capital in their pocket And that means if anything goes wrong living on a thin margin there's a thin margin for error you you bear the cost in a bigger way than somebody else it actually is more analogous with like minimum wage conversation like what's this what's a living minimum wage because somebody who lives at minimum wage has less wiggle room somebody who's making more than that in general
2: yeah, th- this is a very different story from the Equifax situation. With the Equifax situation, you're talking about sloppy management and weak governance, and which I, and, which which I see here, too, here though. too. Though no, well, you may see that, but it's the the potential impacts and the fixes are completely different. Because mm-hmm. in the case of Equifax, this is one company um, engaging in those problems or dealing with those problems, and and you know a fine can help. Push them to um, make the corrections necessary, just so they can stay in business. This is an economic question, and this is much bigger. It's not as big, I think, as the mortgage crisis and the problems that led to the mortgage crisis, but it's not dissimilar at all. It's just a matter of scale. This is um, this, this is re- reflecting um, we've been we've been enjoying the benefits of a of a of a really strong bull market for quite some time. Um, this is the kind of story that suggests that maybe the bull market wasn't as real as we thought it was and the the uh... the correction won't be uh... a sudden discovery that somebody did something wrong that needs to be uh, addressed with a fine or even just new regulation there may be regulation but it would just compound the problems that are going to come out of this As matt said you know, suddenly people will won't be able to afford a car, and and what's the ripple effect on their you know ability to work? And
0: yeah, for sure. Um, and actually, I talked to David Fraser. He's our um, consumer finance analyst here, and he also he brought up that, but he also brought up issues you pointed me toward earlier, Rick, um, the subprime lenders, and particularly he he was telling me about one of the biggest that we cover, um, which is Allied Financial. And they have about 10% of its extensive loan portfolio out to subprime lenders. So, Rick, along with what you were just saying, could you also kind of point me toward how you think this is all going to shape up?
2: Um, the impact on uh, lenders could be high. We're already seeing some of the impact on car manufacturers, who were using these subprime mortgages to to you know keep from having to sh- uh, cut cut down on manufacturing. Earlier, Um, now that's becoming a reality, and they're having to do it. What what other things will happen? Well, we maybe we'll see the market flooded with cars that nobody wants or can afford, Um, and then suddenly that has a multiplier effect, and the car manufacturers have even less reason to build more cars and have to lay off even more people. You know, this is the kind of economic story that reveals. Um, significant flaws uh, underneath the the fabric of of how our world works. And when those begin to to separate and break, um, the the impact is often felt all over the economy, not just in the auto industry or not just among the, the lenders.
0: All right, that's it for the week. I want to thank Rick Marshall and Matt Muscardi for joining me to discuss the news with an ESG twist. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato. Thanks, as always, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. It always helps. Thanks again, and talk to you next week.